Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're here with Dr. Whitney Hauser, who is now the Director of Clinical Affairs at Kepler Vision. Uh, welcome, Dr. Hauser. Thank you. We've talked before, and we did a we did a podcast some months ago on um, dry eye and getting involved in in dry eye. And I'm sure that's still a passion of yours. Absolutely, absolutely, it certainly is. So, how does this new role for you um, kind kind of uh, take all your interests and 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 bring them into into this new position? My interests have been pretty varied over the years. You know, I started my career, um, you know, about 20 years ago. I, I actually hate to say it in ophthalmology. <laughs> I know, I know the, the numbers don't lie and they don't get any kinder. So uh, I started about 20 years ago in ophthalmology. I practiced there for about a decade as a clinical director for a large ophthalmology practice. And and, you know, enjoyed what I did there. I worked in LASIK, cataract, glaucoma, and, and so forth. And then at a certain point, I thought, you know, I just need a new hill to climb. And I went into academia for five years as an associate professor. And at that point, that really um, turned me on to education and not only education of students, but education of my colleagues. And it was kind of taken off from there. As you mentioned, dry eyes is a passion point of mine. I have a, a website and a social media platform called dryeyecoach.com. And, you know, when I take all of those different, you know, facets of my career, those are all things that I get to bring to Kepler Vision now as the director of clinical affairs. And it's kind of exciting to just put everything into one place. And, and by that, what I mean is, you know, I have that clinical background that I've established over the years, but I also have that educational one. And my, my task at Kepler is to really roll out some of our medical uh, protocols to these different practices and to go in and sort of be the boots on the ground there. And of course, many doctors are familiar with many aspects of, of these kinds of, of protocols, but what's, what's kind of your, your goal? I've had the pleasure of going into several practices over the last couple of months and, you know, following a patient from beginning to end, following it from technician through the doctor to the checkout desk through the optical. And I have seen a lot of different ways that people practice. I've encountered a lot of barriers, but a lot of opportunities for these practices that we're seeing. And you're right, you know, doctors overall, everyone that I've seen practice you know, at the highest level, they do the best jobs, but sometimes there's some disconnects when you don't, as the doctor, get to see the entire patient journey through your office. Mm. And as someone who comes in with an outside set of eyes and gets to say, well, you know, if you maybe just did this and, you know, I don't necessarily throw it out as a, as a, this has to be the way it is. I just offer it as a, as a suggestion that maybe you, maybe look at it a little differently. Um, that's one of the things. The other things is it gives me a great opportunity as I go through with the patient to understand why some of the choices they make are made. You know, I was in a practice not long ago and the doctor was, you know, moving through the patient at a, at a, at a nice pace, was doing a fantastic job, excellent patient education and, and excellent, you know, uh, examination of the patient's eyes. And I thought, I think the patient said something about dry eye, but it didn't really get latched onto. But I'll tell you at the end of that exam, I knew why. I mean, 
he was doing everything he could do for that patient. He's doing a multifocal contact lens. He's doing a multi, uh, he's doing a progressive, uh, new, new patient progressive lens. He's got people in the waiting room. You know, it suddenly, you know, really clicked for me personally, why certain things that are non-emergent really get deferred, uh, for that patient. And, And we had an opportunity to talk about it afterwards. And, you know, it's, it's just hard to sometimes come up for air. So it's great perspective on both sides of, of how we can come in and, and facilitate for that practice. But also, you know, there are, are natural barriers that have to be overcome and it is absolutely not related to quality of care. That's, that's really interesting because, of course, if a dry eye discussion gets deferred at the time mm-hmm. of an exam, when does it come back up? Exactly. And that's the, that's the point of opportunity, you know, because a lot of doctors will just move on to the next patient. Mm -hmm. The opportunity then is to, is to reappoint that patient because if it's something that they thought was important enough to say to the doctor out loud, even though they didn't hammer the problem home, even though that wasn't their chief complaint, Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely something that's probably worth it to them to jump in the car and come back to the office. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's been really enlightening on, on both sides. Like I anticipated as this role to go in and say, here's some things that I see you might be able to, to contour in your practice to, to be more efficient, more effective. But it's been a real learning opportunity for me as well, seeing how my colleagues are really addressing some of the things that they encounter. Mm, I like that word contour too, because it implies that the bulk is, all, is already there. Um, right. And it is, you know, I'm not, I'm not making sweeping changes. I'm just saying, you know, how about if we consider, consider this a little bit differently? So is it sustainable for you to, to go in and do that with every practice? I mean, how, what's, what's ultimately um, your role going to be as the uh, director of clinical affairs? I think that there'll be definitely some, some actual visits to office, some, some real boots on the ground perspective that's required uh, or maybe even requested by certain practices. Mm-hmm. But then on the, on the flip side, you know, I'd like to see some more opportunities to utilize virtual training and, and opportunities like that, because, you know, it just touches more practices more quickly. And it also, you know, when you get enough people in the room, certainly it can get crowded from a voice perspective. But if we're all, you know, if I'm just disseminating information, it gives an opportunity to have consistency, I think. And they're all, everyone's getting the same message. So that's, that's what I'm optimistic and hopeful that what, that's one of the, the directions that will go with uh, internal education. And is that going to be formalized? Is that something you're working on to actually sort of develop these protocols or you're taking what exists? Well, and protocol development is in, in full swing. So mm-hmm. our dry eye protocol has already been crafted and is uh, making its way into our Kepler vision practices. So that is, that is true. You know, when you look at, at dry eye protocols, they can be uh, very robust. They can be very lengthy. They can be very intimidating to a lot of doctors and not because it's so complicated. It's just so much. So what we have is a, a protocol that was designed largely by Dr. Ben Gaddy and uh, Dr. Gaddy has a great reputation in optometry and dry particularly. And um, it's been, it's been finalized. And like I said, it's going out to practices right now. The, the difference with this particular protocol is it's very easy to follow. Uh, it's, it's not basic by any means, but it's simplified enough that it just gets that practitioner who's really just kind of been dabbling and doing some dry eye really gets them a course that they can follow. 
Uh, and hopefully it's not something that you're going to be looking back at every day between patients. You know, it's a, I get to go through it. If I need to reference it, I can, and it's easily accessible and easy to go, go through. Is there a role for staff in that protocol? There is. Uh, we actually have job aids that are created for staff and even talk a little bit about some of the language that you might use and how you might use it differently with a dry patient versus someone who's calling for a primary care exam, a glaucoma follow-up or what have you. You know, the the overlap of, of depression and anxiety in a dry patient population is far higher than it is in a lot of other ophthalmic disease processes. It's right around 29%. So when you consider that, these patients may call and may need something different from the staff member than other patient bases would. So we sort of position that and, and give a little educational opportunity to the, to the staff member to understand why these people may act a little differently than other folks mm-hmm. and why they may require a little bit more of your attention than a traditional exam would. You know, a lot of these staff members uh, are very well-versed you know, and the differences between these patients, you know, mm-hmm. just like I, I don't ever plan to go in and, and tell the doctors how to practice. A lot of these staff members are, are similarly well-educated. Sometimes just like that number that I offered you about the 29%, sometimes mm-hmm. it's just a little couple facts and all of a sudden you're like, aha, I get it. This is different. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you start from ground zero and come in and, and educate from the, the foundation up just a little, little a little bit of perspective sometimes makes a complete difference in how you approach a certain patient. And so what might that be with the, with the dry eye patient? So from the, if you're starting at the front desk, again, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more education. You know, these patients tend to be skeptical. They tend to be a little bit more anxious, perhaps. And this is not across the board. You know, the, the prevalence of dry is, is really high. It doesn't mean that every dry patient is going to call and, and be anxious and depressed and things like that. But there is a certain group of them, a subset, if you will, especially in that moderate to severe category, who feel like, I have a problem. I've been to doctor's. I've been given the same product, you know, like artificial tears, some OTC product over and over again. And I don't, I have lost faith in going to to doctors for this because no one ever seems to take it as seriously as I do. So as as we talk to the staff members, you know, and say, offer them some information, but you don't want to get bogged down at the front desk by educating the the dry eye patient for 30 minutes. But if that patient doesn't seem satisfied with what you're giving them, let's triage that to a technician. We'll have someone call you by the end of the business day and at least give that patient opportunity to to have a further conversation. Mm -hmm. And what's important is, it's important for that technician to really call back because then it just feeds that skepticism if we don't get that call back at the end of the day. So set up something realistic. If it's not the end of the day and it's the close of business by tomorrow, whatever, that's going to be realistic for that busy practice, then that makes sense. And then make sure that that information is relayed, you know, relayed between the, the front desk, the technician, and makes it all the way to the doctor. Sometimes there's a, a disconnect in the handoff and we don't get that information. And once again, it reinforces that skepticism for the patient. So if all the information makes it back to the doctor, the doctor's been queued up, they've been sort of flagged as a dry patient, you're going to need to do some additional testing with properly appointed to give that time to do that additional testing, then you're going to have ultimately, hopefully, a successful patient encounter. So, so the patient who calls up complaining about dry eye, I'm going back to, to, that, to that patient that you, you followed. Um, 
getting new contact lenses, getting new progressive um, ophthalmic lenses also has dry eye. Would would it make more sense to look at dry eye first? You know, whether their uh, survey doesn't trigger that, and that's part of our protocol is one of the first things we do is have the survey triggering that. And again, this practice had not implemented the dry protocol yet. So, but that as part of the protocol, that's what it would entail is, is it triggered enough? Is Are they symptomatic enough to trigger an evaluation? Then do you feel like their vision is impaired by the the signs that you see, either SPK or what have you, that they wouldn't be able to reach 2020 or that 2020 would fluctuate or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Having sat there and watched that exam, you know, that patient fluidly read 2020. So I'm not so sure that it was ultimately impacting the visual acuity. So going ahead and going forward with the exam would be fairly prudent, especially if the patient's there under vision, then they can reappoint as medical patient. The The tougher thing is the group that they don't know what's mm. wrong with them. You know, they know their vision fluctuates. They know their eyes are intermittently red or irritated, but they don't really know why. You know, they may have been told or misdiagnosed as allergy patients, or maybe it's a concomitant condition, They're, or they may never have seen a doctor. I mean, so many different scenarios where you get this sort of broad complaint. And as a, as a front desk uh, staff member, I mean, I understand why they don't know what to, to put them in, what slot to put them in. Do all do I put them in vision? And and sometimes that's also steered by an insurance need. The patient's calling and saying, I want to schedule a vision exam, you know, and this is what I've got going. So it's a it's it's tough on all sides, really. Right. And that's the the rationale for gathering patients in medical and vision insurance at the start. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It just makes it easier if you, you know, want to change from the exam room, patient comes in, they make that medical complaint. If you have both of those insurances, it's easier to pivot back to the front desk and say, hey, can we go forward with a medical exam today without having to do a a lot of paperwork? Nobody likes to have uh, unexpected phone calls and things to insurance companies for verification. It delays the patient's experience in the chair. It flusters the front desk staff who are trying to do a million other things. It's better to just do things in a more orderly fashion. And uh, I guess that's really sort of the the overarching goal of, of pretty much everything that you're doing, right? Creating this this orderly fashion. Otherwise, you're, you're kind of trying to make these clinical decisions on the, the fly in a, in a way, obviously with, with lots of education and experience behind you, but, but not exactly a, a protocol. And a lot, of, a lot of doctors, particularly when it comes to dry, tend to shoot from the hip a little bit more than have, you know, if this, then that, this is what I do when I have a patient. You know, I've been doing particularly dry eye education uh, for the last five, six years. And I see, a, I see a change happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I poll the audiences a lot when I do continuing education and ask them who has this piece of equipment, who has that, who does this. And I see more and more hands come up uh, every year. And I think that's exciting. So, you know, by no means do I want to give my colleagues a hard way to go. You know, as I said, I've been in practices recently and when I've had my, the opportunity to practice in a dry center of, uh, of that's focused on, on specifically one condition, it's easy. It's easy to kind of want to wag your finger and say, well, why aren't you doing it? But when you go into their offices and you see why, why it's hard to address, you see the barriers that exist and the people that are doing it well are, are really knocking it out of the park. And they do it well because of a protocol. I mean, is it, is it, I don't want to oversimplify, but I mean, is, is that a, 
a big element of it? I think that's a huge element of it. I mean, when you have a plan, it's and you have a roadmap, you you get to the destination. When you wander around, you know, you get there perhaps, but you didn't get there the most efficient way. Right. You know, and, and I think that that's what I think that's what we see when you get something specific going. And the other part about that roadmap is the roadmap that you have, just like, again, overlapping with glaucoma, the roadmap is one that not just the doctor follows, but the entire office follows. Mm -hmm. So when, when the technician set looks in and says, Oh, it's a dry workup. Let's go do osmolarity. We'll do uh, MMP nine testing. We'll do X, Y, and Z uh, point of care diagnostics before the, the doctor sees them. Then the doctor's position to, to move through that exam at a nice pace, educate the patient and move on to the next one. You know, if they come in and say, well, patient has dry eye and the doctor's like, well, why don't we do osmolarity this time and so forth. Not only does the patient experience get sort of prolonged, but also sometimes the doctor, because they're not having that consistent uh, presentation of information, they don't really latch on to the the point of care diagnostics and what they're telling them. You know, if I only do a test here and there, uh, maybe I don't see a trend, you know, in my own practice. And I think that consistency will reveal a lot of trends and and maybe help you predict who your dry patient in your particular practice is going to be even before they really tell you. So it sounds like you've really created or a role has been created for you that brings together all your interests, the clinical, the education, the uh, the coaching you know, right. element of it right. too uh, in this role. That's that's exciting to, to find that. It really is. It, it is exciting. And, you know, I, f- I feel like it was designed specifically for me uh, because it's like you said, it's just all the things that I enjoy doing. And and it gives me an opportunity to, again, it goes both ways. And I can't say that enough. While I love being able to disseminate information and, and then relay that back to, to the folks at Kepler Vision, Dr. Gaddy and uh, the, the folks there, it is a two-way street. And I really love getting perspective and being those practices. I think it will make me better in that position, but I think it just makes me a better educator from the podium as well. That's exciting. Uh, Dr. Hauser, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it as always. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.